0: Welcome to Theology Matters. I'm Dr. John Clark, and we've been considering the false gospel response cliche, "Repent of" or "Repent from" your sins. And so today, I want to look at some biblical examples of repentance and try to uh, provide an accurate interpretation, considering the meaning of the Greek word metanoia and metanoio. Um, But just as a as a reminder, you know the the phrase "repent of your sins" or "repent from your sins" is very problematic. When it results, uh, when it's used um, for uh, a prerequisite to be saved. In fact, when when most people say that you must repent of or repent from your sin in order to be saved, what they mean by that is a person must turn from sin. They've got to change their behavior. Now they don't mean that a person must be perfect, because they'll readily admit that's impossible. But they will say that you must be sinning less. than you you were before. Now, how this is measured biblically is a mystery. Nobody can point to a verse that says, oh yeah, here's the measuring stick for how that looks. And so typically the argument is made that if one is still continually or habitually committing the same sin as they were before they were saved, then they never really repented of that sin. Now, if that's the case, how many times can one commit a sin after they get saved before it's considered habitual? Would that be once a year, once a month, once a week? Um, and I've got a question for those that would teach repentance in this way. What if someone commits a new sin after they got saved than they did before they got saved? What then? You know, I know many five-year-old boys um, that get saved at five. They put their faith in Christ and, um, and and you know, they never struggled with lust before they were five, but they started struggling with lust when they got into their teenage years. Does that mean that that person was never saved because a new sin uh, developed after they got saved, than before they got saved. You, you just it gets into a very cloudy area, and so if repentance requires some level of improving one's spirituality by sinning less, then you can you can see that this response is a works gospel, requiring someone to clean up their life in order to be saved or in order to stay saved, or in order to prove out that they're truly saved. And so, again, if I have to do something ongoing to keep myself saved, then who's actually doing the saving, me or Jesus? Um, and again, it, it, it comes back to me. It's taking our focus off of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a couple passages. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, uh, with John the Baptist. And every time we see the word repentance in the Bible, we should be asking ourselves what one question. What was the biblical author or speaker telling his audience to change their mind about? So Matthew 3, 2 says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what we know about John the Baptist is that he was the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. His ministry was to make his path straight, the Messiahs, and to prepare the nation of Israel to receive their Messiah so that he could come and establish their long-awaited kingdom on earth. However, we know that by the John the Baptist's time, the Jewish people, uh, via their religious leaders, were confused. And they were in error as to how a Jewish person would enter this kingdom. And so for the Jews in Jesus's day and in John's day, they were falsely believing some or the combination of the following. They they thought, some of them thought, well, I'm a son of Abraham, thus I'll automatically enter the kingdom. And so they were basing their eternal destiny. On their physical birth into the right family abrahams some thought if they were circumcised they would automatically enter the kingdom again they were basing their eternal destiny on a religious ritual some thought if they were a son or a daughter of the covenant who kept the mosaic law including the sacrificial system requirements that they would be in and again they were basing their eternal destiny on law keeping unfortunately for these jewish people. None of these things could provide them with what he or she really needed. They needed a righteousness equal to God's righteousness. In fact, Jesus' sermon on the Mount, he says that the righteousness needed to enter the kingdom would have to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And the only way to obtain it would be if God provided it himself. And you know, this is why Jesus told one of the most religious Jews of his day, Nicodemus, that he needed to be born again or born from above, Nicodemus needed a divine solution to his righteousness issue, and so he needed a new birth, which would provide God's righteousness for him. In fact, this new birth, effectuated by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which um, we see in John three fourteen through sixteen, secured God's righteousness for anyone who believe would believe. In fact. Um, As we see from the Old Testament, this was exactly how Abraham obtained righteousness equal to God's righteousness. This is how David obtained a righteousness equal to God's righteousness. Romans 4 teaches us about that. So what was John um, in Matthew 3 telling his readers to change their mind about? Well, let's let scripture explain scripture. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 4 where the apostle Paul actually runs into some disciples of John the Baptist in the city of Ephesus. And I'll let Paul explain what John the Baptist's message of repentance was all about. This is what he says in Acts 19, verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So what were they to change their mind about? They were to change their mind about the method to get into the kingdom. What were they trusting in? Well, we look, the Jewish culture was trusting in their birth or their circumcision, their ritual, or the fact that they were trying to keep the law and they needed to reject those methods getting into the kingdom they needed to change their mind about that, and they needed to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, so they might be born again and gain entrance into the kingdom of God. Another example of the word repentance, very popular uh, examples is found in Acts 2.38. And so Acts 2.38 says this, then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so again, use of the word repent. What did the original author, the original speaker intend for the original audience to understand? What was he telling them to change their mind about? Well, Peter was preaching to the same group of Jews who had 50 days earlier condemned Jesus Christ to a criminal's death on the cross he tells his audience they needed to repent. So again, what did they need to change their mind about? Well, as you read through Peter's sermon, you can see that the issue Peter's audience needed to change their mind about was the identity of Jesus Christ. 50 days earlier, they believed he was worthy of death because he was a messianic imposter and a false Messiah. They needed to change their mind about Jesus, believing that he was indeed the long awaited prophesied Messiah from the scriptures. And let's look at, Peter's sermon. Let's go to verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosened the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Jump down to verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And then jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall they do? They should change their mind. The very man they condemned to die 50 days earlier is the very man that the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had made both Lord, meaning that he is God and he is, he is fully God and that he is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. They had crucified him. They needed to change their mind about Jesus Christ and his identity. That was Peter's message of repentance on the day of Pentecost. Now let's jump, uh, and by the way, we'll leave baptism to another day. There in Acts two thirty eight, we'll come back to that uh, in a future uh, session. But let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine. 1 Thessalonians one, verse nine. This is the one I mentioned earlier that. Uh, John MacArthur uses as an example of repentance or turning from sin. Um, and so let's read it. It says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so it's interesting to note that, that the Thessalonian believers are said to have turned to God and turned from idols. And so what we see is that apparently some of the God-fearing Gentiles who were saved while attending synagogue services must have been sampling Judaism and were still polytheistic in nature. Remember when Paul went to Thessalonica, he he went to that city just like he did every city on his missionary journeys, and he and he started at the synagogue. And so there must have been some God-fearing Gentiles in those synagogues listening to Paul's um, teaching regarding the Messiah, that the fact that the Christ, as, as the text says in Acts 17, had to suffer and die. And and as he pointed that out in the Old Testament scriptures, then he got to the point where he identified Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ they were reading about in the Old Testament. And so even even the true God-fearing Gentiles may have still been struggling with the cultural pull towards polytheism. We know that that was an issue for many Gentile Christians to, to get sucked back into the polytheistic culture of their day. But it's important to note, as I mentioned earlier, when we are talking about John MacArthur, as it relates to 1 Thessalonians 1.9, that the Greek word metanoia, typically translated repentance, is not even found in this verse. Many Bible teachers will use this very verse incorrectly uh, as a verse to support uh, or, or give an example or give a proof text of biblical repentance. And this verse does not even contain the word for repentance, obviously. A change of mind led to this subsequent change of action, but they are not one in the same thing. And so subsequent to the Thessalonian believers, putting their faith in Christ, um, we gathered that they, they had made a clean break, um, from polytheism. They had, they had turned from idols. Maybe they had gotten rid of them. Maybe like the group in Ephesus where they burned their magic books. Um, they had made a clean break from polytheism and had turned to God and. Um, and that was obviously precipitated by a change of mind, but the word repentance and a change of behavior are two separate things. And the word repentance is not even found in that verse. And let's look at one more example of the word repentance. And let's go all the way to Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter three in verse 19. Revelation 3, 19. And it says this, as many uh, as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Now, first of all, in this passage, it's really important to note that the verse is spoken uh, to a church in Laodicea. In other words, Jesus is telling believers that they need to repent or change their minds about something. He's not telling unbelievers what what they must do to be saved. We've talked about this passage before when we were looking at asking Jesus into your heart and showing that Revelation 3.20 doesn't teach that. Because this is instruction to a church. It's not instruction to unbelievers on how to get saved. So the question again, what did they need to change their mind about? Well, let's look at the, G, uh, the, the report that Jesus gives of their, of their spiritual state in verses 15 through 17. He says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so what we see from that passage is they had some level of religious works they were involved in. They thought they were rich wealthy and didn't need anything. And these riches were giving them a false sense of security, overconfidence, and a false sense of blessing. And overall, they were independent from the Lord. And so their true diagnosis of their spiritual state was that they were, their works were unfruitful. They weren't accomplishing their design goal. They were neither cold nor hot. They were useless. They were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. That's what verse 18 tells us. So what were they to change their mind about? They were to change their mind about their current spiritual state, recognize their dire spiritual situation. See, they thought they were in the spiritual penthouse and they were actually in the spiritual ICU. They were in big trouble uh, in terms of how they were thinking and how they viewed themselves. And so I hope that's been helpful on the study of repentance.